you're tired of the standard business and marketing fundamentals, frameworks, and funnels, <laughs> you need a little mischief. Get ready to turn up the volume on the CEO Mischief Maker podcast, where you access conversations with seasoned business owners who have smashed through mindset barriers, innovated the standard boring business and marketing playbooks, and executed future-paced strategies with bleeding-edge tools and tactics to micro-fail their way into massive success and growth. We are Mindset Impact Strategic Catalysts, helping innovative entrepreneurs focus. We are CEO Mischief Makers. Ready to make a little mischief? Hey, hey, MKJ here and CEO Mischief Makers. You've already heard in the last couple of episodes, my friends, Robert and Kaylee. And if you haven't, then you need to just get your little hiney back over there to Monday and Wednesday and listen to those episodes <laughs> because we are building on that. And we are going to now get down into the weeds and talk about actually what you can do in your business and your relationships and through this consulting that Robert and Kaylee do to improve and, and actually design your business so you can actually have a life and enjoy that life and actually live it, not just exist in it. And you know what I mean by existing versus living. I guarantee it. So, all right, guys, let's take this home and basically talk about the actual strategies and tactics that people can use to design that business the way we've been talking about. Are there specifics that you talk about? I know you have a book, an amazing book called Tandem that probably outlines a lot of these things, right? Sure does. Yes. There's even a workbook that comes along with it. You can download it once you get the book. There you go. <laughs> then tell me how it works. I think, and this is actually in the, I don't think I use this, we use this word in the book, but actually it's just be simplify, mm -hmm. simplify your life, simplify your business. That's where it starts is look for areas to simplify. And the first, first thing to do, even if you think, you know, even if your business is a shambles at the moment, but the first step you can do to create better work-life balance is just create boundaries, healthy boundaries between business and home. You know, I think we shared in the first episode on Monday about just quality of time with each other. So even in the business of a business, you have some time to give at home. And so when you're home, make it count. When you're off the clock, make it count. And have these unprotected, uh, these none, protected times that that nothing can distract it, no texts or emails, anything from customers or employees. And so that protected time, and like one of those is our weekly meetings is Mondays at 3.30, you know, we're, you know, we're going to be having our weekly meeting to catch up on everything and get on the same page. Yeah, we go over the calendar for the week, sometimes for the month. We just got back from a book tour. So six weeks, there was a lot of things we had to say no to. And they were good things. It's just there was no way we could get it all done and serve our clients and be there for them as much as we wanted to be. So we just had to say no and say, we'll do it. No, not now. We'll do it later. And then with our weekly meetings, we look at the calendar like, oh, we got a crazy week. Okay, well. Let's try and go on a, well, I shouldn't say let's try. Let's go on a date night the following week when it's not so busy. In our house, if it doesn't get on the calendar, it just doesn't happen. And then we also do like quarterly kind of get getaways for a weekend. We've got that on the calendar and planned out different things like that. Yeah. So the first thing is to calendar those protected moments with your spouse and your family. And that's where you start. And now we start to build around it, right? 
because otherwise it's just your calendar just gets filled with everything else. And so that's where it starts. And then on the business side of things, and you know, we we covered the the time aspect in business owners' time. We covered that in the last episode. On the business operational side of things, what you can start to do to have better work-life balance or greater productivity in your business is start to develop, if you haven't already, start to develop metrics on every aspect of your business to measure to see what can be improved. Kind of teased it about, you know, we we people tend to think when the business isn't running well, when the profit's not there, more sales is the answer. And we said the previous episode, it's not. <laughs> it's how do you become more efficient, more profitable with what you have? That's the first stage of gaining more time back. Because when you're more profitable, more efficient, then you're naturally going to get more time back. And so the first thing to do is look at the metrics. And so because we're both kind of have a marketing, you know, MK, because you, you deal with marketing as well. When you just look at the marketing aspect, just metrics like email open rates or engagement rates on social media or sales conversion rates on the site, all those little metrics that a lot of businesses don't keep track of, the information's out there, but we don't keep track of, or we don't take the time to keep track of. Then we can look at, okay, now we start to establish some goals on how to improve these metrics. And it's not one big home run we're trying to hit, right? And that's where the the problem comes with most businesses, especially from a marketing aspect, is when they're going for that one viral piece of content or that big sales funnel thing that's going to, that they think is just going to, you know, be all the answers. You know, most of the time, it's all the little changes you can make that will lead to the big results that you want, right? So, you know, one of our e commerce clients, you know, the same thing, they're hemorrhaging money, you know, over seven figures in a year. And so they said, we need more sales. And I said, no, you don't. You're doing $5 million in revenue a year. You should be able to make a profit. So let's look at all the metrics. And they weren't huge, right? But but think about this, like on-site sales conversion rate from 0.8% to 1.6% doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a 100% increase, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So whatever sales you're getting and you get a 100% increase without having more effort, right? It doesn't take more effort. I mean, it does a little bit to change maybe the copy or whatever. You're already doing it anyway. Yeah. It's about how it's do just you improve iterating. those. Right. How do you improve what you're already doing to get bigger results? You know, it doesn't take more staff time. You're already putting money into, into Google ads and all that. We're not changing the amount of time you're putting in, but actually you're actually in, increasing the amount of margin later on, right? So that's so the metrics are huge. It's the boring, right? Right. Yeah. The, but the boring stuff, most of us, MK loves it, but a lot of us other entrepreneurs, is this not our thing? <laughs> metrics is like a four-letter word, right? For a lot of business owners. And yeah. so it's so important. And that's where that's where the changes happen. So and, just keep stacking little wins on top of each other. And then it really adds up, increases the margin a lot quicker and sooner than you think it will. Yeah. So boundaries creating those protective moments. And then we talked, you know, last episode about increasing the margin of your time, improving, making more productive use of your own time as the business owner and your team. And now as we're looking at the operational side of the business, you really got to establish those metrics and measure it, see where you are and look for all those areas of improvements. And a few percentage points here or there makes some huge results. So that example of the e-commerce business that was hemorrhaging seven figures, now, finally, at the end of last year, they broke. They were in that break-even mode, and now they're in that black in the black. And they were four or five years in mm-hmm. hemorrhaging money, and so it wasn't. You can't it wasn't keep a doing new sales campaign. Yeah, no. it, wasn't, it wasn't a new sales campaign and all that kind of stuff. It was. It was really just improving what you're already doing. 
because a lot of people are are chasing it. You know, every three months there's a new sales funnel, there's a new this, there's a new that, a new widget, and they're like keep changing and following all this stuff around, and it just doesn't seem to pay off. Well, it can't. And this is another thing that goes along with what we talked about last time. When you switch your focus, when you change your focus, at the thing you were focused on before is going to die. It's it's going to go down because nobody's managing it. The new thing, it's exciting. It's something new. Mm-hmm. Well, this yeah. this will work or that'll work rather yeah. than just going back and doing the dull, boring stuff, which is look at what you're already doing and see where you can improve. And you're right. Mm-hmm. A few little tweaks. I mean, I know this in terms of my work with chatbots. We have conversations that go and we look at, let's say, a quiz. And in one of the client's was a a man who helps women find the perfect man. It was very interesting. (laughs) The man who helps women find the perfect man. And basically all the women that were in his horses just wanted him. Yes. So uh, anyway. (laughs) Duh. So he was single, but yet kind of committed. But then that fell apart. Yeah. Anyway, we won't go into it. But uh, it was interesting. <laughs> so in this in this scenario, in this quiz, we were asking questions in the beginning. And the first couple of questions were, you know, basic basic questions about how they felt about relationships or whatever. And the the first two questions, three questions in, we were getting, you know, 90 to 100% click-through rate, right? So they answered that question and went on to wow. the next one. They were engaging with the quiz. We get to this question. There was like fourth question in or something. It was, all right, what's your relationship status? Are you single, married, or divorced? And that question got 25% click-through rate. So obviously they did not want to answer it. So sure. (laughs) That's another thought altogether that we won't get into. (laughs) But yeah, so, so all we did was if we never looked at that, here's the detail. If you never look at that, you never look at how those percentages are, you're going to lose 75% of your people on that one question. Mm-hmm. So all we did was look at that. We iterated. We changed the question to, have you ever gotten your heart broken? Boom. 90 to 100% of the people answered it again. And then we pushed that question later down the line when they got to know him a little bit better. And when we put it down to, let's say, the ninth or 10th question, maybe the next day, then it was 80 to 85% of the people answered it. So if I never looked at that, there you go. So I build a funnel. Here you go. Have a great life. Bye-bye. Put some ads to it and see what you get. That's ridiculous. It's never going to perform as well as it would if you went actually went back and looked at it, checked the stats, see where you can improve. This is iteration. This is life. My relationship with my husband is nowhere near the same as it was when we, when we were first together when we were 16, for crime sakes. Just no way. We have all grown and, and we communicate differently. Mm-hmm. Everything we've learned, hopefully, through life, yeah. we've been able to apply and improve. That's yeah. True. So where are other areas? So we talked about, you know, the email marketing or or I talked about chatbots. What other areas do you go into a business and find those those metrics that you can actually help business owners impact? Well, it's an area I hated in college but it's in the financial statements. Mm-hmm. And it's another uh, area entrepreneurs really don't like. Don't want to look things, at. We no. delve into the things people don't want to look at, but it's yes. so crucial. You know, at the end of the day, why do business fail? Lack of cash flow. Mm-hmm. There's just no money, right? You can talk about the marketing and all that stuff, which is part of it, yeah. but at the end of the day, they just don't have money. And yeah. so money management is is huge. And so the first thing I do, like I, I hated accounting in school, but because I have an application now, it really, and I've heard this, and you might've heard this too, that, you know, devil's in the details and it's in the numbers. There's every aspect of the business is tied to a dollar sign. 
And it's amazing. I've heard this, that you can tell the health of the business and what's wrong in the business by looking at the financial statements. And I never bought into that until I started getting mentored by a CFO. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. (laughs) You can see everything. Darn it. Pretty much come up with a plan, Mm -hmm. a business and even a marketing plan, at least a framework of it, just by looking at the financial statements and looking at the holes financially. And one of the things that really affects pretty much well, all the clients we've had so far is their pricing. Mm-hmm. Their pricing somewhere along the line is off. They're charging a little bit too little. And they do this. It's kind of interesting that the typical product or service where they tend to charge less than they should is in what we would consider maybe their flagship product or service. They're using it almost like a loss leader, yeah. which they borrow this from the retail environment. But the retail environment uses loss leaders from stuff that's going out of style that they're going to get rid of anyway, yeah. right? So yeah. it's either yeah. you give it away or you make some, recoup some of the money, but use it to attract people because of the 50 or 75% discount, right? right. But that's because some of that's already going to be thrown away, but not your flagship stuff, right? That's yeah. supposed to drive your, your income, drive your profitability. And that's what we've seen. That's the one area that every you know anyone listening right now to look at, because I think a lot of you already feel it that there's probably a product or service that maybe you should be charging more, but we're afraid to. Well, and I think a lot of times people have no idea uh, their margins and what they're making, the things they think they're making money on. We look in there and we're like, oh my gosh, there's no way they are not making money here at all. And a lot of times it's in the place that you least likely suspect. And they're like, really? That's making money? I was wanting to get rid of that. And we're like, no, keep that. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) because if we're not looking at that stuff, you just have no idea. Look at the PLs. Yeah. So so pricing is huge. And yeah, as Kaylee was sharing, you know, what the next thing we do is in the profit and loss statement is look at the different sales channels mm-hmm. and look at the profitability on all those sales channels and seeing where the loss is. And a lot of times, as she's saying, it's true, is that the area that they think they're most profitable in is a thing that's actually dragging them down. So this is very typical, especially for a business that's selling wholesale and retail. I mean, let's use that as an example because it's very easy to understand. Retail. Right, you get their best dollar because you charge a retail price. When you're selling wholesale, you're basically discounting your price to to sell to another retail store because obviously they got to market up to make their margin. So the the thinking is we make more profitability on the retail side. Mm-hmm. On paper, that makes sense, but there's so many other marketing costs that go into the retail side that they don't account for, and their margins a lot of times are less than when they're selling wholesale because wholesale. They're selling in bulk, even though you're selling at a discount, but you're selling in bulk. And there's a lot of your marketing expense per you know transaction is actually pretty low yeah. on the wholesale side. So those kind of things in their head, in people's heads, they think this is where it is. Mm-hmm. But until you run the numbers, like we talked about metrics, the stuff that's not sexy, the stuff that's not fun, it's tedious. But that's where you'll find your answers. Yeah, because with our e-commerce people, customer clients, they totally... You were telling them it was in the wholesale, and they're wholesales like, "Where are they making?" And they're the like, keeping them alive. Like, no, we're it's not that. It's the it's the wholesale or the retail. And then he got looking it up, and he's like, "No." And then he showed him the numbers, and they're like, "Really? This is where we're making yeah. the money is over here?" And Robert's like, "Yes." And so what that does yeah. is it helps you focus on who is your primary target market and where should be spending most of your time. So I said you really should be focusing your time from a sales perspective on wholesale. Because that's where you do the mass distribution. That's where you, you know, that's where you really penetrate the market. The retail side, the onesie twosie side, that's more what we consider branding side. 
when you're selling to the consumer, then you're establishing a brand so that when these consumers, even if they don't buy directly from you, but when they go to a store, when they go to Amazon, they'll recognize the brand, right? So that's the shift in attitude. So when you look at the financial statements, you actually, the, the marketing plan or the target market becomes clearly alive yes. <laughs> when you start yes. to see where you're making your money. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree 100%. I, my first business was a maternity store. I did novelty maternity designs. It was the first maternity store online in 2003. And luckily, I was in the very beginnings of the internet, right, of being able to sell on the internet. We didn't have Shopify's. We didn't have none of those things. So, you know, I'm an OG here, right? And in that, I was completely focused on online retail sales because this was the new avenue. And I just mm-hmm. put up the website got everything ready. And I started selling like mid-November. And by the time December came around for Christmas, especially, I had already sold sold like $10,000 worth of merchandise cool. back in 2003. I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, this is working. This is amazing. And just kept doing that and kept focusing on that. And then started going out into the wholesale world, which was much more difficult, right? All I had to do in this time was put up the website and do a little bit of of, uh, Google ads, right? Facebook didn't Mm -hmm. even have that. We just had Google AdWords. And people came to the site and were talking about it and sharing it and all that. But the wholesale side was much harder. You had to get into and and go door knocking or you mm-hmm. had to go to a distribution center or a place mm-hmm. where, especially in, in retail clothing, right? There were yeah. houses that you would go to that you would display your, your merchandise and you had to pay them a particular price and all these, all these other intricacies that were involved. And I just was not willing to do it. I was just a mom, you know, doing stuff in my spare bedroom. I'm like, you know, fine, I'll talk to a few stores, but I ain't going through all this other stuff. I don't have the time mm-hmm. and the energy. And, you know, I don't know whether that would have worked or not, but then basically the 2008 recession hit. And I don't care if you had wholesale or retail, it didn't matter. (laughs) You're done. But it is true when you look at those things and you look at the costs of advertising, of all the social media attention you have to have to actually have your brand have awareness. But if you use basically what you're talking about is piggybacking on the brand that's already been established from these other retail stores mm-hmm. larger yeah. than you can ever be, at least in the beginning, mm-hmm. then you can borrow, you can cash in on that retail yeah. presence and brand mm-hmm. from these other stores. Just look at Spanx. Spanx mm-hmm. didn't have its own store. They didn't start there. She went total mm-hmm. wholesale. Yeah. And look at the success she's had. So yeah, yeah I agree with you 100%. And yeah. then- it's hard to change know, people's minds though. Yeah, but but when you show the numbers, then they go, yeah. oh, I get it. Because the wholesale department was the VP and her executive assistant. The retail side had this big, <laughs> yeah. See, <laughs> the bulk of their payroll went on the retail side. And I said, you know what? You might want to give her some help. <laughs> <laughs> Switch some of those people on and over now. Yeah. So as soon as you see the numbers in front of you, that's when the the, the light bulb goes on. You're like, they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize it, right? Instead of guesswork, mm-hmm. you know, once you had the numbers and the metrics in front of you, then you go, oh my gosh, all we need to do is put a little bit more gasoline on this flame and I'll take off. So again, that's also part of that, that turnaround and that, that example was focusing on the right things. So is there one last piece of advice that you can give, again, married entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in general to, to help them to really structure their business to be able to get their life back? Well, it's kind of what we just said is just really look at where you're spending your time as as the owner's time, the people's time, and even just as a business where you're spending your time. 
and look just to reevaluate. I mean, don't keep going down the same road, you know, day in, year in, year out, doing the same things and expecting different results, right? The definition of insanity. But every, you know, every year you have a big assessment and then quarterly you have a little assessment, but always reevaluate what you're doing, figure out what's working, what's not, and what might need to change and look at the metrics. Yeah. And I want to say, look at the metrics and it's okay to say, no, we don't have to be in every activity there is and our kids. And, and we end up doing things we really don't want to do because we don't want to say no. We do that in business too. We're like, oh my gosh, we're afraid if we turn down this job, that's not a perfect fit for us. Then we're not going to have money. And then that turns into a big, huge nightmare. And a lot of times it's a time waster. You get these people that you're not on the same page with, it can turn bad really quickly and take a lot of time and money. So it's okay to say no and to prioritize what's important to you, your family, your business. And I would say, come up with a plan of what that's going to look like, get everybody to buy in with the family and the owner of the business and live that dream. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Hold on. If your mindset was shifted you were inspired to innovate, and you were spurred into action, don't just move on with your day. Focus, my friend, and take a few minutes to visit ceomischiefmaker.com to learn more about the value that was shared with you today. Please act now and create some CEO mischief of your own.